0: Thank you, Brother Aymondi. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. 2 Corinthians 4 as we continue in our series on the truth that God has more in store, but He has it for you now. And God wants you to experience what He has, not just someday and not maybe, but now. And in order to do so, there are truths I think would help us because sometimes it's a mindset that has to be shifted And so the Bible is that great component that God's given to us to help us reset and to realign. In 2 Corinthians 4, we're going to look at another truth this morning. And as we find that and stand together, we'll dismiss our children to the children's ministry. And we're in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. I want to thank the church for praying for this past week as I was at the GIBF meeting That simply uh, stands for Global Independent Baptist Fellowship, a group of preachers who meet twice a year in various places. And this past week, it was in Tampa, Florida. And uh, it was the first meeting in which I am the moderator of the fellowship for these two years, and had a good meeting. Uh, Was reminded, however, why one one reason why I would never want to pastor in Florida. Now, I lived in Florida, my family's from Florida. I, I was born in Florida. And Florida is about as far south as you can go in the United States of America, but it's about as north as you can feel as you go south. And all these, I, I, I love being here in Georgia because primarily uh, we're here with a bunch of Southerners. You go to Florida, you're with a bunch of Yankees and, and it just makes absolutely no sense in the world why well, I would want to go to Florida and have to be around people who don't have a clue as to how to function the United States of America. You you wanna know who the Yankees are in Florida, they're usually the men with gray hair, they've got pastel shorts on and tube socks up to their knees walking around. It's a dead giveaway. And so, but what's even worse is when they're driving a smart car about the size of a golf cart and they make 12 point turns in a parking lot just to get around in there. It's frustrating. You know they're from New York. You know that, sorry for those New Yorkers, but you understand it's true. It's true if you ever are down there. And uh, so I told Christy, I said, uh, I'm glad God didn't lead us to Florida. And uh, if he did so, we'd have to take our passport and go down there and identify with the Yankees. But um, we'll leave that with, with other people. And that's why they're in a bad mood, too. It's just that they move from the north, you think they ought at least be thankful that they, that they have a lot, lot of stuff, good weather, good food, and um, they have to bring their moodiness down to the south. It's not right, is it? it has nothing to do with the message this morning. I'm making, trying to make a tie. It's not quite there, but, um, but it just it was a, a realization that dawned on me. All right, Second Corinthians 4: you there? Look at two verses of Scripture. And understand, please, that as we're going through this series, this is not like going through the book of the Bible. And so I'm not spending much time in the context of a passage as much as we're dealing with this. And I don't want to take it out of context, but we're looking at a verse to get us to the thought. And these would be more of a topical kind of message, but we're doing this until um, we launch into our new uh, series. But And so this is not... Uh, We're not digging into the text here as much. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 8 and 9. Paul says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. The sentence goes on to the next verse, but we'll stop our reading there. Notice the word in verse number eight, the second part of the verse, we are perplexed. Perplexed. The Apostle Paul was a man who would say that he too would experience trouble, and yet he could experience trouble and not be crushed by it. Sometimes he says we would be perplexed, but not in despair. When he says perplexed, I think he's talking about the idea of doubts. Have you ever been perplexed? Just doubting whether or not this is the right scenario. Now, all people experience doubt in their daily life. We tend to second guess a number of things. Did I make the right decision? Did I make the right purchase? Did I make the right turn? All of us tend to doubt. It's a human characteristic. When you doubt others, it's called suspicion. When you doubt the future, it's called worry. When you doubt God, it's called unbelief. When you doubt yourself, it's called insecurity. When you doubt what you hear on the news, it's called intelligence. And so we all have levels of doubt. Many men go through what is known as a midlife crisis, where there's a doubt of their ability, of their senility, a doubt of of what they're here for. James chapter one says it can be a problem to entertain doubt and not deal with it. He says in James 1 and verse 6, For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. This morning, in this matter, in this journey of experiencing all that God has for us now, I want us to look at how to deal with our doubts. How to defeat your doubts. And we're going to look at just two basic thoughts here this morning. But if we want to experience all that God has for us, how to defeat our doubts is very, very significant. Thank you. Please be seated. The first truth, the first aspect, I guess we should say, is to understand the cause for doubts. What is it that causes us to doubt? There's three things that can contribute to doubting. One is critics. Critics cause us to doubt God and to doubt ourselves. Those people who challenge our beliefs, those people who may ridicule us, who scoff at us, who maybe even want us to fail, these people who try to impede our success or progress, that can cause some doubt. I heard about a young man who went away to a college, a a liberal college, secular college. And there was a professor who was making statements about the Bible, said he had read through the Bible and and said it didn't make any sense. And he said it's just an an old and antiquated book, had no relevance to daily life. There's a young Christian student who had a passion in his heart for God And he loved his Bible and he stood up and said, sir, may I say something? And the professor complied and the young man said, sir, the Bible is God's love letter written to his children. If you cannot understand it, perhaps it's because you're reading someone else's mail. The truth is the Bible is relevant and Sunday night, you come back tonight, we're going through a series on understanding how we got our Bible to understand it is God's love letter to us. But the reality is that critics calls us to doubt. We begin to wonder whether God really means what he says. Can God really do what he says he's going to do? And the critics, the scoffers, they make us believe that if we're Christians, you have to check your brains at the door, which is the only way that you can ever really experience God is to not use your brain. Yet the Bible really teaches the opposite. The Bible teaches that only when Christ controls our mind can we truly think with minds that think correctly. Isaiah 26 verse 3, That wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Philippians 2, we've said of as of late, we've, we've mentioned it several times. Let this mind be in you. Philippians chapter 4, think on these things. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. See, the Bible says we're to learn the wisdom of God while we reject the wisdom of this world. The Bible gives us really one good sentence, I think, for atheism. Um, The Bible says, Proverbs 14, the fool has said in his heart, No God. There is no God. No God. So if you say there is no God, the Bible says you're a foolish person. That's because it makes sense to believe in God. You may work with people who say otherwise. I would go with the one who says otherwise to the people you work with. I mean, to believe in God as the creator of all of all things, makes so much more sense to me than the monkey story. Or to say that everything just happened, that there was a big bang and this world was the result of a big bang. That's like saying, I got my dictionary due to an explosion at the printing factory. And all the letters and words just fell together in a dictionary exactly from A to Z. No one would believe that. Everyone would say somebody put work into this and put this together. To say that this world just happened makes no sense whatsoever, and yet there are critics that can make Christians feel dumb or foolish or ignorant and can cause doubts to exist. Friend, don't ever think that you have to take a back seat because you believe in Jesus or you believe in the word of God, which will be forever and last forever and has all authority and power. Some of the most brilliant minds of our time in history have been the minds of believers in Jesus Christ. Those are the wisest men of our day. The critics come along, however, and when with critics comes doubt. But there's a second cause of our doubting, And that is our conscience. Our conscience can cause us to feel guilty. When we feel guilty, we tend to rationalize our beliefs to fit our lifestyle. When you rationalize your beliefs to fit your lifestyle, it causes doubt to be created in your mind. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 19, Paul says, holding faith and a good conscience which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. You don't want to be a shipwrecked saint. But many a person who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have become shipwrecked because of a crippled faith and a hurt conscience. So when you do what you know is wrong, you deliberately go against the word of God then your conscience causes you to doubt because you're forced to rationalize in order to deal with the guilt in your life. Many people who say they don't believe in God, I don't really think that they're true atheists. I think a lot of so-called atheists who say they don't believe in God, they don't believe in God because Christians that they've known have burned them. Maybe they had some bad experiences in a church. Maybe some preachers let them down. And by the way, that's entirely possible. The truth is, I can let you down. This church can let you down. But God in his word will never let you down. But some people who said they believed in Jesus Christ, maybe didn't show it. And others who put confidence in those so-called Christians, they were crushed And it's not that some perhaps don't believe in God. It's just that they don't believe in that kind of person who says they believe in God. The Gallup poll showed in June of 2022 that 81% of Americans believe in God, which is lower than what it has been before, but that's still the majority. But the question that I ask is, what kind of God do they believe in? Is he a loving God? Is he a caring God? Is he a God who has a plan for my life? Is he a God who knows what's going on in this world? That's the question. Not do people believe in God because most people believe in God, but then they turn from that belief when they have to justify their lifestyle because of a guilty conscience. So critics can cause us to doubt. Our conscience Can cause us to doubt. But there's a third thing. And this is by far. I believe the the, the most prevalent reason why we're doubted. Why we doubt and why we're defeated by doubt. And that is circumstances. Circumstances can cause any of us to doubt. When your prayers go unanswered. When difficulty comes and stays. When tragedy strikes, things just seem unjust and life seems unfair. That's when we tend to doubt God. He'll do it for others. He won't do it for me. In Mark chapter four, remember the story of Jesus when he was with his disciples there in the ship on the Lake of Galilee. And when they're there on, on the lake, a storm arises, and Jesus it says it's in the, the hinder part of the ship, and what is he doing? Yeah, what some of you are doing, and there's not even a storm. Storm would do us well right now. And the disciples are fighting the storm. They're struggling, and all the time, Jesus is asleep. You know why he was sleeping? Because there was no preaching. He wouldn't sleep when there's preaching, you got that? <laughs> Finally, they wake waken Jesus when they think they're going to perish, this is it. We've gotta wake him up. You ever been told by your parents, I'm gonna take a nap, don't wake me up? But you know if the house is burning, I probably should wake him up. <laughs> you know, you put one too many Pop-Tarts in the uh, toaster oven and sparks led to some place and maybe we should, we should do that. And, and they're saying, it's time, it's time, hit the panic button. And they think they're going to go under and they say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Well, did he care? Did they know that he cared? Well, yes. But circumstances had a way of creating some doubts. Lord, don't you even know what's going on? Lord, don't you care? And in their question, they expressed a doubt about Jesus. They expressed a doubt about his love, a doubt about his concern, a doubt about his care. When folks have have doubted me and and they've drawn uh, conclusions about my integrity, sometimes I've been very offended by that. And all I have to do is be reminded that Jesus was doubted by his own disciples because that's what circumstances can do in people. When circumstances come, they're hard to understand. We say, God, do you really know what's going on? Did this one sneak in by surprise? How about Job? Even Job doubted God. Job expressed a doubt that God would work everything out on his behalf, but he still He revealed some doubts about John the Baptist. John the Baptist had doubt. Remember, John the Baptist was called by Jesus to be the greatest man who ever lived. That that which was born of woman, no greater man than John the Baptist. Yet John the Baptist, you find him in prison. It becomes his dungeon of doubt Because of difficult circumstances, because he's isolated from his friends, because he's not out preaching and seeing thousands repent and be baptized, he's in prison alone in the darkness of that hour. He sent a message. He sent words to Jesus and he asked, are you really the one that should come or should I be looking for another? He's saying, Jesus, did I make a mistake by putting my trust in you? Lord, am I a fool for believing in you? People have asked that question many times. Going through discipleship, sitting here in the pews of this church, because they think this is a little bit strict. It's not the church that's strict, I want to remind you. It's the requirement that Jesus places upon us to experience him working in our lives right now. Have you ever asked that sort of question, like John the Baptist? Did I miss it? Did I make a mistake? Listen, when I've when I come to the Lord and after I've blown it, I can only come with one appeal. That's His mercy. I've no other defense. I can't escape my biggest problem. That's me. So I leave the courtroom of my own defense because of what Jesus has done. And God looks down on me with mercy. And that's my only appeal is my only source of hope. It's my life is his mercy. You perhaps have been like John the Baptist. You've been in a dungeon of doubt because of circumstances. You've been in a time of darkness You've been in a time of sorrow. Maybe you've had a time of heartache. And that nagging doubt comes that says, is my faith real? Have I really done the right thing in trusting in the promises of God's holy word? And John the Baptist, you know what he he received when he expressed this doubt because of circumstances? He found that Jesus didn't chide him. Didn't condemn him. Jesus sent a word of encouragement and said, yes, John, you have done the right thing. The blind, Jesus said, are being made to see. The deaf are being made to hear. The lame are able to walk. He says, yes, John, I am the Messiah. I am the son of God. You remember the story of Thomas? Remember Thomas? We know him to be doubting Thomas. Thomas was one of the 12 disciples and many times he heard Jesus say, I'm going to rise from the dead, which meant I'm going to have to die Yet Thomas was not with them when the Lord appeared after his resurrection in John 20 in that upper room, the Sunday evening of Easter resurrection morning. And the disciples said to Thomas later, you missed it. Man, we had a service. We saw the risen Lord. He was here. He bodily rose from the dead and he was here. And Thomas in essence said, no way. There's no way I'm gonna believe that. I followed him for three and a half years. I believed in him for three and a half years. What did that get me? He was crucified. Jesus, our Jesus was humiliated. He was shamed on the cross. And then what happened? Jesus appeared to Thomas with the disciples. What did Jesus do? He didn't condemn Thomas. He just simply reached out his arms of love. He said, Thomas, touch the wound in my side. Touch the nail prints in my hands. And Thomas fell on his knees and he said, my Lord, my God. You see, many times dealing honestly with doubt brings us to a time of real faith and real belief in God. But the cause of doubt is important sometimes that we recognize what causes it. And circumstances most often. Hey. A hurt conscience, yes. Critics, yes. But many times it's the circumstances of life. But number two. Would you note know, if we're going to defeat doubt and experience what God has now? We've got to see the cure for doubt. The cure. There's only two points this morning. It means we're halfway done. Now there's 12 points under this number two. There's not, but the cure for doubt. Let me say, this is simple. But first of all, admit your doubt. Be like Thomas. Thomas said, I can't believe. Be like that man who brought his son to Jesus and he said, Jesus, my son is sick. And Jesus said, if you believe all things are possible to him that believeth in Mark chapter 9 and verse 24, the man said, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Just admit to it. Admit where I'm struggling with doubts. He had belief and he had doubt in his heart at the same time. Did you know that it's possible to have belief and doubt? At the same time in your heart, Amen. you face a hard circumstance and you cry out and you say, Lord, I know I believe in you. I know I trust you, but I'm having a hard time in this situation. I believe, Lord, help thou my unbelief. So admit your doubt. You're human. You're going to doubt. Admit that you doubt. Say, yes, I believe. But I also have some doubts and God will help you. And that's the beginning don't deny your doubt, admit it. Don't deny that you're having a struggle, unless you're not. But if you're dealing with doubts and you want to defeat your doubts, then admit that. You you, you don't know how to pray in a particular situation, tell that to God. You may be going through a time when you lost your job, your, your wife has left or your husband has left, you may feel deserted, maybe friends have turned against you, maybe people have disappointed you, they've let you down, maybe you've committed some great sin against the Lord and you're going through a time of doubt, just admit it. You know, there is a difference between doubt and unbelief. That's right. Doubt, if it's not defeated, it can lead us to unbelief, which is a sin. Doubt is when you don't know exactly what God is doing in a situation. You don't know how to pray. You don't know what God would have you to do, but you're seeking, you're struggling still. Unbelief is when you know what to do, what God wants you to do, and yet you deliberately choose not to trust and obey. But doubt just simply means you're struggling. You believe, but you need help with your faith. It's important we defeat doubt or it'll lead us to unbelief. You need to admit your doubt. Remember the time of David when David was being hounded by King Saul and his life was being threatened. And David was wondering about all those promises of God. And David cried out to the Lord in the Psalms and he expressed his doubt to God on many occasions. And he would say, Lord, what's going on? What are you doing? My enemies are compassing me about. I'm like a man sinking down into a pit. And yet David had faith in God. How about the story of Abraham and Sarah? I think here's where you can see where doubt led to some unbelief. Remember God told Sarah, you're going to have a son. And Abraham was almost 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old. And when God said, Sarah, you're going to be a mother, the Bible says she did what? She laughed. I know she doubted because if a 90-year-old woman were told she's going to be a mother and she believed it, she would cry, not laugh. But she laughed. She doubted it. She doubted that it could happen. She came through that doubt, however, to believe in God. And God made His promise real in her life. He fulfilled His promise. So don't be afraid to admit your doubt. So, number one, admit your doubt. Number two, let me say it this way doubt your doubt. Doubt your doubt. We need to doubt our doubts and believe our beliefs. And we usually do the opposite, we doubt the beliefs and we believe our doubts. But we ought to doubt our doubts. We need to believe our beliefs, we need to doubt our doubts according to the Word of God. We need to get in the habit of believing our beliefs and doubting our doubts, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not unto thine own understanding. What is he saying? Doubt your doubts. Verse six, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. He's saying, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your doubt. Don't dwell on your doubt. Exalt your faith and confidence in God. Believe your beliefs, doubt your doubts. And God's gonna show you the way out of a situation. So how do you deal with your doubt? How do you defeat your doubts? What's the cure? Admit you have a doubt. And doubt your doubt and believe your beliefs. Lord, help thou my unbelief. And last of all, the cure for doubt is, use the faith that you have. Use the faith that you have. Most will continue to struggle with doubt when they think of faith as something out there that I need. The truth is you don't need more faith. You just need to use the faith that you have. Jesus said in Matthew 17 and verse 20, if we have faith as the size of a grain of the smallest, tiniest little seed. Jesus said, if you have faith that size, you could say into this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. And it would be done. Why? Because it's not the size of your faith that matters. It's the object of your faith that matters. What is your faith in? You said, my faith is so small. Good. Because you put your small faith in a great God. That's all that's needed. You put a premium on large faith. I need more faith. What's going to happen? You're going to get derailed. Because your focus is then on your faith. When your focus should not be on your faith, your focus should be on the right object. His name is Jesus Christ. Everybody has faith. You had faith when you got up this morning. You had faith when you ate your breakfast. How many men had breakfast this morning? Raise your hand. All right. You had faith. You had faith your wife didn't put arsenic in your food. You you, you had to exercise some faith. You had faith when you sat down on this pew that it was going to hold you up. You had faith when you get on an airplane trusting a pilot you do not know and an aircraft you do not understand and an airline that you have no idea what's going on in the business of that day. Everyone exercises faith. Whatever faith you have this morning is enough, but it will not change your life until you put it in the one who does change our life. His name is Jesus. You've heard it said, never doubt in the darkness what God has told you in the light. Somebody says, well, pastor, shouldn't I wait until I understand the Bible before I really just jump in the deep end and give my life to God? Well, if that's what you're waiting on, you'll never come. I mean, those of us who have been studying the Bible, all of our lives have only scratched the surface. We've only touched the hem of Jesus' garment. You don't wait till you have it all figured out before you come to Jesus. You don't need to be able to explain justification, glorification and sanctification before you can get to Jesus. You don't need to be able to give a great theology of the book of Revelation and explain the prophecy timeline before you come to Christ. No, if you just have faith as a size of a grain of mustard seed and put that faith in the right object of Jesus Christ this morning, he'll meet with you right now. You say this morning, I'm struggling. If you're struggling, you may wonder, does Jesus care? You may be wondering why you have these struggles and these problems and these difficulties. Somebody may be doubting God's love and doubting God's presence and doubting God's power. And you have doubts flooding your mind. Admit them. Admit them to God. And doubt your doubts. And believe your beliefs. And then exercise the faith that you do have. You need to say, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. You say, Pastor, I've been left alone. My mate has died. I've been left alone in this world. My marriage is breaking up. I just learned I have an incurable disease. I just learned that I've lost my job. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, start with the faith that you have. And if you start with the faith you have, it'll be enough. Would you get this down? Little faith plus a big God equals great results. A little faith plus a big God equals great results. Proverbs 24, 16, a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Failure can be dangerous if you let it be final. But your failure never has to be final. Failure produces wisdom. If you ask for it, failure can produce maturity if you'll learn from it. The truth is that following Jesus is not about avoiding failure and being perfect. Following Jesus is about accepting I'm weak. I'll always be weak, but he's strong. He'll always be strong. I want to tell you something this morning. Doubt does not mean that God has ever stopped loving you. Doubt does not mean that you're separated from God. Doubt does not mean that God doesn't care for you. Doubt does not mean that God has gone away. But doubt is a system and a symptom that shows that you need to come to Jesus and come to his feet. And with the faith that you have, trust him to give you a fresh reviving this morning. If you need to come and put your faith in Jesus to save your soul, you better do it before it's too late. But for God's people, if you're doubting, you're ranked among the greatest of God's servants. Come to Jesus and put your small mustard seed faith in a great God and expect great results. Let's stand together, please.